You're listening to Changing Reality. Changing Reality, where we bend reality all across the world. Only on WQHS Radio. So hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Changing Reality right here on WQHS Radio. My name is Harsha and you are watching Changing Reality. So Changing Reality is a show that features phenomenal people from all walks of life who are carving out a little slice of reality all around the world in their respective fields and positions. We'll be hanging out and interviewing change makers, entrepreneurs, business owners, to even top executives, change makers, and even musicians and artists and inspiring individuals from all walks of life. The idea of having this um, show is to share with students, not just on the Penn campus, but from everywhere, about the real stories that make the world turn. And hopefully these stories inspire you in a way to start changing your own reality as well. I wanted to start this show simply because I feel like there are a lot of people out there who do phenomenal things. And at the same time, they are super passionate about what they do. And it's their passion, talent, and hard work that actually um, creates the world as we know it. But we might not always know their stories, right? So that's why I decided to start this show. And on a personal basis, I founded and run a youth movement called Ascendance in Malaysia, which is where I'm from, where we collaborate with our Malaysian Ministry of Education to help provide alternative learning platforms for any student who wants to change their reality. We work with students from elementary to high school through various sessions, programs, experiential learning activities, and projects to help them discover what they love doing, go out there and get real-world experiences, and also come back and create meaningful impacts through having their own careers while they're still in school. To date, we've worked with over 4,000 students in 270 communities and have worked with and developed countless number of student-run projects, careers, and even student-run social enterprises run by kids between the ages of 8 to 18 years old. So if you have any questions about that, you can drop it in the chat below. We'll make sure that the links are there too. But today's episode of Changing Reality, we have someone who I personally think we can all learn a lot from. We have a very special guest. Uh, he's the one, the only, um, Shara Shor, who is the general manager of Microsoft Search and Intelligence. Though he is no stranger to Microsoft, and we will find out about that a bit later too, he was he's also a prominent figure in the tech world, having been a product head in Google, working behind the scenes on many of the tools that we take for granted today, and later became the director of Alexa for business at Amazon before his current role as GM at Microsoft Search and Intelligence today. So without further ado, I think we're all awaiting to hear his experiences and waiting to bring him on the show today. So let's welcome our guest for today. Hi, hi. Hi, hi. How are you? Thank you so much for joining on the show. I'm doing good. Uh, it was really impressive to hear about all the impact that you're having um, with with uh, with all the efforts that you're that you're doing uh, there with uh, with children and uh, with kids at, uh, uh, at 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 Malaysia. So super impressed to hear about all your achievements. Oh, thank you so much. That's very, very kind. And um, why I give that introduction is just because I feel like um, I've always been passionate about hearing stories from um, people, not just on the successes they've had now, but the journey of how they actually um, got to that success. And especially here on Penn, we have so many successful alumni like you, in a way, that um, that has actually achieved so many things. And 
thank you once again for being on the show. And I thought we can just start off by sharing a little bit more about your journey. Um, sure. Started off as a student here at Penn for a while. Why yeah. did you actually decide to come to Penn? Or did you just one day wake up in Penn and be like, oh, okay, this seems like a good place. I'll just stay here no, for now. No, no, this, uh, I mean, UPenn has so many things going for it, um, right? Uh, for me, one of the things that was uh, really interesting was uh, the CS curriculum, as well as uh, you, you have some fantastic uh, uh, teachers and professors out there. Um, Dr. Susan Davidson, I remember, um, she was my mentor uh, out there. Um, specifically, she was applying um, at, at that time, she was working on uh, applying database systems into bioinformatics and and, and, and specifically that the field. And there was an area of research that was appealing to me uh, at the time. So uh, when I kind of looked across the landscape of where there was um, computer science being applied into bioinformatics, it seemed like, uh, you know, Penn stood out for sure. Um, so I was lucky to uh, to apply and, and get in, um, and uh, and I joined the program. Uh, but the one thing that I have to say is, uh, unlike some of the phenomenal folks that you have been uh, interviewing uh, who have graduated from Penn, I actually never did complete my Penn education. I dropped out uh, in 2003. Um, so I so just wanted to make sure that I say that up front, uh, that uh, I wish I had got, if I had an opportunity to rewind back, uh, um, you know, I would have probably done things differently, but nonetheless, I just didn't want to make sure that uh, I stated that up front. I think that only makes your story all the more inspiring. Do you mind sharing with us um, a little bit about your time here? I think you were also, I think, a graduate research assistant here and a bit about your decision not to continue here as a student. Yeah, there is, um, uh, you know, Penn has a lot of really good, uh, uh, it, it's got a great CS program. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Um, the thing that uh, I really appreciated, uh, like learning from uh, Dr. Davidson, for example, was um, applicability of um, CS in the industry. Um, but um, and and it was primarily research driven, right? If you, if you kind of think about it, um, uh, and 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 so there was there was that that was really going for it. Um, the the program itself is is super diverse um, in terms of uh, um, you know what are the various courses courses course offerings that, that they were there and what are the various programs that were there. The part that was um, you know if I had to kind of go back, gosh, how many years? Almost twenty years ago, and kind of think through the decisions um, uh, that I had in front of me at that time. Um, I had there was an opportunity for me to. Um, it was, uh, if, if you were to kind of uh, think back at that time, there was a lot of startups around and what really it's not about the startups, but it's about the excitement that there is in, in taking an idea and then very quickly going out and, uh, you know, building a product and then, then, you know, putting the product in the hands of people and learning from it. And there was a ton of it. It's very similar to where it is right now in some ways, but in some ways it was uh, it was also the first of our kind of, uh, uh, you know, IT bubbles that we had at that time. And um, that, so that was definitely uh, very interesting for me. I just wanted to definitely go uh, dip in there and, 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 and start building products. 
Um, I actually worked with a small startup in uh, in the suburb of uh, in Philadelphia, and uh, that that experience over the summer uh, got me very um, interested in in actually jumping headlong uh, into the industry. Um, and and that's why I was really happy to hear. Like at that time, I think for, them, for me the option was either spend all my time trying to finish up my program, get a degree, and then go do it, um, or have the ability to uh, you know let uh, pause on on studies for some time, and and then go ahead uh, go jump in into the industry and and go build things and learn from learn through the process. Um, there wasn't a good mechanism for me to balance the two. Um, so that's why when I heard about your experience, Harsha, where you're able to do both, I am super excited with it because this, you know, if I had to kind of rewind back and uh, about 18 years ago, if I had the same opportunity, I would have definitely done it. I would have basically taken a fewer um, number of courses, spent some time uh, working in the industry um, uh, and uh, and enhance my skills on, on both fronts and knowledge. You know, I think of knowledge that I would get from Penn as well as the skills that I would get by actually going and building products. Um, so so um, you know it was it was a very clear binary kind of decision for me that I was dealing with. And so I said, I'm going to I'm going to pause on uh, take a pause in learning. So I took a leave of absence um, for about a year, and one year became two years, two years became three years, and and very quickly I, I you know. It, it, uh, I never did end up coming back and uh, finishing the degree, uh, but but again, it, uh, you know, given the opportunity, like what I'm hearing, how the course program, how the program at uh, Penn has evolved, uh, just the fact that you are able to run your startup and go and study uh, at Penn and and learn from uh, some phenomenal professors as well as phenomenal classmates, right? I mean, you learn a lot from just uh, interacting with your with your uh, with, uh, with folks taking the, the same course. Um, and so it's it's really great to hear that uh, because I think it is a necessary uh, evolution that was needed. Thank you so much. And uh, I think it makes me feel better as well. I've been very fortunate to be able to take the uh, work and study course. And as you said, phenomenal lecturers. A lot of my classmates are working adults. So that itself is an added enrichment, I feel, sometimes to what I'm learning. And um, I feel like education comes and is most meaningful for me personally when I can apply it and when I see the application grow in a sense. And yes. after, yeah, 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 it's like something that's apply applicable, yes. Yeah, and, 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 and the other part is, I think for, for um, uh, at least for me, um, when I study something and I can apply it right away, um, uh, you know, in, in, in the context of, um, of, of building software, it is just so much more sticky. It just is. It's, it's you know. It's it's firmly, uh, you know. So for me, the learning process is both learning through books as well as applying it uh, on 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 a project. You know. So I think kind of think of it as the project based learning uh, is, is is super valuable as opposed to traditional. Here's a book. Go read through this book. Go <laughs> you know, and then here are some assignments. Go do the assignments, and that really doesn't. Uh, uh, at least for me, I, I mean, I'm sure different people have different uh, uh, different ways of uh, learning. No, I agree with you. And after you you took your leave of absence and things like that, I think you actually um, started at another company, right? If I'm not mistaken, 
Um, you were at this place called Moberg Resources. Mm -hmm. uh, you started as a software developer. And I heard somewhere that you actually designed and developed a prototype uh, integration portal there that kind of like, if I'm not mistaken, disseminated uh, medical information um, to people in um, intensive care units and all. That's truly amazing. And did that give you that avenue to apply the things that you were learning that you were looking for? Yeah, I mean, if you, that was the thing that, um, uh, you know, that was the starting of the journey that made me think about, um, uh, about uh, jumping headlong into the industry rather than focusing on research and finishing my program. Um, uh, Moberg uh, was, uh, and it, I think it might still be around, it's a small startup that was in, uh, uh, in, uh, in, in, in a suburb of Philadelphia. And uh, what Moberg ended up, uh, what we ended up building there was, um, uh, at that time, it was state of art, but you know, we now naturally, we, we kind of see this in every hospital now. But what we were doing is making sure that clinical pathways and relevant clinical information was available by the bedside where uh, healthcare providers are taking uh, a lot of decisions in a compressed amount of time um, and are working through effectively they're just working through um, how you would describe as uh, uh, you know they're not only just looking at the patient's uh, uh, health vitals but they're also uh, you know basically traversing down a down a pathway of how what is the right optimal treatment and so on. So if someone came in with uh, with a head trauma, then you know what are the what are the various steps? And there's a specific workflow that uh, many of these uh, healthcare providers have to follow through. And so just being there and and, and ensuring that we could assist um, the healthcare provider uh, who is taking those measurements, checking the pulse, checking you know vision, checking breathing, and all of those things, and just making sure that it's available to the person. So we just created a, a service and, a, and, 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 and a, a service that we hosted in the cloud and a software that ran locally on the devices um, so that healthcare professionals could, it reduced the error rates and increased the efficiencies. Uh, that's the best way to think of it, uh, by assisting, assisting them to go through this. And as someone who had prior to that had been in classes, learning computer software, CS and things like that, um, I wouldn't say without practice i'm sure you had a lot of practicals and a lot of things that you involved with but yeah. mostly in a classroom setting how was it like for you to transition into working on an actual project that had so much impact i'd say well, yeah and this is where i think it made a big difference i remember we had uh, and some of my uh, my mem my memory might still be very hazy just given the number of uh, years ago this was but I remember we had um, uh, courses in distributed system, we had courses in algorithms and so on. And, and the assignments were great. Uh, the knowledge was fantastic. The professors were phenomenal in keeping the classes interesting. Uh, but the thing that I, I kept missing is the actual application in a product. It's one thing about, uh, about learning about distributed systems and doing a set of assignments um, and, and turning in some small projects here and there. It's another thing about when you're building a product and you're giving it to the hands of user and you see this, oh boy, I missed, I, I totally missed out this aspect of it. Because we, we tend to focus, um, because what when, when you actually apply it uh, in a project, uh, you are getting a broader, what I would say, a more complete view um, of, of all the various things. You could, you could have, um, 
you could build out uh, a system that has got fantastic redundancy, but you might be missing something else, right? You might be missing something like you know performance, or you might forget about or the usability aspect of it, of, of using a specific feature or not. And so, so I think that's what you get. You're more connected to all the parts of building software, whereas um, in classes, you're very specifically focused um, on, on, on a specific set of topics. So it's a connection. we need the connective tissue, at least for me, I found myself yearning for the connective tissue um, that not only took that specific deep knowledge I was acquiring, uh, whether it was in database systems or whether it was in uh, or, or whether it was in distributed systems and then actually applying it in the context of a larger product right and that's the exciting part that's what I found myself uh, thriving on yep I, I agree with you like uh, one thing that I normally don't mention in my introduction is I also run a startup that's in tech so we do fast simple template based websites for individuals so you can have like your personal name card so I've got like actually harsha.com because harsha.com was taken unfortunately but we basically do, do small services and I cannot believe how much I learned when we actually went to market and we actually got customers in and that's when I realized that there was um it's not something that they teach you in class you know in class it's either you 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 hit certain criteria you learn certain things you excel in certain skills but then um it's always like you either pass or you fail in or you get like a grade or a cgpa in the real world it's like nobody's going to grade you they're either going to tell you does the product work that did you miss this out does it not work and and it's just a completely different frame of mind and uh, you obviously learn to adapt to this frame of mind very quickly i think after that you actually became a product manager at google right that's all that's awesome how did that happen <laughs> like yeah, so for me, the journey uh, from I, I actually spent about um, 10, 10, 11 years, I guess, at Microsoft the first time around. Um, and, and, and at Microsoft, I spent time working on features that was uh, that involved um, uh, that, that led up into that manifested in, 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 in Xbox or in Bing and uh, um, and, and in dynamics. And so those are the kind of three products where, uh, where the work that I was doing kind of manifested in those three products. Um, and, and for me, after a point, um, there was a period of time where uh, I felt like I needed a change. Um, uh, I, I, I needed to uh, not necessarily change of scenery as much as, um, you know, the Microsoft ecosystem is a huge ecosystem and it's, it's, it's also an ecosystem that is very Microsoft centric, correctly so. I mean, it just built uh, great products um, and, 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 there is, and it's a, a massive suite of products. And so they're all kind of interlinked or supporting each other. Uh, for me, it was uh, just stepping out of that Microsoft ecosystem a little bit was was something that I uh, I definitely wanted to do, um, and so that kind of that journey, the desire led me to uh, Google, which has got again its own ecosystem. Uh, Google has got another massive ecosystem, whether it, you think about Android and Chrome and um, and and and, uh, and online services. It is, uh, and, and now it's cloud and search and ads and all of those, of course. Uh, and 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 so for me, it was just kind of specifically wanting to go learn. I think when you're in a place um, or working in a specific area for long enough, um, uh, you start becoming very comfortable. Um, and the, the thing about being comfortable, which is always good, it's always good to be comfortable, but it's also the rate of learning drops a little bit. 
Uh, and, and so for me to kind of accelerate the rate of learning, it was, uh, I found it super useful to just step out of my comfort zone a little bit. Um, and, and so that took me to Google. Um, as, uh, and, and one of the things that I was very interested in was uh, uh, was uh, the, the entire cloud ecosystem um, and uh, Google's uh, desire to go embrace uh, the, and, and make their technology available to the open source community was something that uh, uh, that I found was super refreshing at the time. And so I ended up going there. Yep, I think you spent years at Microsoft doing things that working on products like Xbox and Xbox 360, which we can only imagine working on. And then you moved on to work on Google Cloud, which is something that I think most of us can't live without. So um, what did like working on all of these different products and things like that, for us, normally we see it from the user's point of view. So, and I think that you would have, when you came into it, um, I'm sure you would have knew these products before that, but from someone on the other end of the equation, someone mm -hmm. who's integrating platforms, what was the biggest thing that shocked you from your position about um, something you didn't anticipate that was important um, that, the, that the consumers picked up in a way? You know, one of the most fascinating things in my journey um, that uh, I continue to get uh, excited and impressed is uh, the sheer talent and passion about people around me. Uh, it is it is just it's hard to describe this. I mean, no matter uh, you know the the way the way I tend to look at things is um, uh, it's best to think of it as uh, being mission centric, less about a specific organization or a specific team or a specific. Um, product it's it's tend to be about mission and mission is expressed from the end user's point of view right so if you are in the mission of creating this amazingly wonderful uh, gaming experience for um for every gamer on the planet uh, or or a specific set of gamers or for i mean it's it's important to describe that mission in a um, uh, with uh, you know and having a clear understanding of what that mission is but whatever it is that you're doing, right? The, the beauty of it is when you do end up bootstrapping a mission, there are people who kind of gravitate towards it and people who gravitate towards it often bring with them um, knowledge, skills, energy, passion, and all of that just makes it really wonderful, right? Uh, and then that, that continues to span through no matter what, right? Whether it was at uh, Microsoft or at Google or at Amazon, uh, there are phenomenally talented folks um, um, and 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 folks who are willing to share, and folks who are willing to lean in, um, and so that I I personally, uh, you know, it's it's always, you know, whether I'm working right now and I'll, I'll run into folks who who um, who look at the same mission but with a different perspective and bring something in uh, and 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 kind of uh, or, or take on or go way beyond what is being asked for because they really care about something. Right? There would be people who would go above and beyond to go build this phenomenal experience on Xbox um, because they really cared about it. It was not as much as, hey, I need to go, um, uh, I need to go get, uh, you know, I'm doing this as a job or I'm doing this, you know, more often than not, people are excited uh, 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 about what they're doing. And, and that leads to some great, uh, uh, really interesting things. Um, I'm not sure if I'm necessarily answering your question, but I think it is, you know, so so that was one thing that continues to delight me, continues to surprise me even right now. Um, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, when you look at the kind of problems that 
whether uh, whether uh, we, we are we are working on uh, whether it is happens to be in search or that happens to be in gaming or that happens to be in cloud uh, or, or Alexa. Uh, the the problem space is something where it, it, it's I continue to learn from folks around me on on the on the need to kind of bet long, right? I mean, we all kind of have this approach saying, oh, we know how this is going to look like. Uh, right. I mean, if you if you had rebound back to several years ago, people would have said, "Oh, I think we've done everything that we could do on the phone." And then, of course, the iPhone came out, and this was delightful. And now we've passed it, and we are saying, "Okay, iPhone is there. What else can this device do?" So I think we kind of look at the longer arc uh, or a longer arc of time. It, it's uh, all of these, uh, all the people in the groups that I'm working in are, are folks who kind of bet long, um, who have, um, you know, in some ways. Uh, you know, the, the take bets on things that you you probably will never end up actually reaching and achieving and saying I'm done, right? So it, it just continues to go on and on. Um, uh, I, yeah, so it's, it's those kind of things that I find personally super exciting. Uh, and and every now and then we'll 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 I think we have achieved it a destination and we're done with it, and then I'll run. That I can I, I'll get surprised saying, wow, there is more to do because users want more, right? You you you, you go, we started off. Like I'll, I'll give you an example. We started off by building uh, uh, both an infrastructure and a platform that allowed us to increase the performance for online services uh, in in Bing, uh, for example. And that very quickly grew into something more. Uh, you know, users were not happy with uh, you know 800 milliseconds of time that it takes to load a page. They wanted 300 milliseconds, you know, and because they wanted it to be faster because there are applications. Uh, they wanted to use the same infrastructure, not just as a pass through for the network. They wanted to run compute loads in there. Developers said, why, if I could run compute loads in there, wouldn't that be great? Um, so, so just that evolution of you know, listening to our customers in this case, or our users in this case, there might be end users, there might be developers, and just having them, this, you know, being with them on the journey and realizing that they are, they are the drivers, the locomotives for us to push harder, uh, to aspire for greater things. Um, I, I think I can't recollect. I think this is attributed to Jeff, Jeff Bezos uh, when he talks about building the most uh, customer-centric company. He, one of the statements I think he made in one of those annual shareholders' uh, letters was, uh, it's, it's the, the beauty of our being so customer obsessed is uh, uh, our customers are never actually happy, satisfied. They always want more, right? This is unique. This is a demand for always wanting better, wanting more, and just so to kind of stay on the train. You, you, you know, even when you think that you've achieved and you've done everything that you could, you're surprised when they turn around and say, "No, no, no, I want more," right? So it's. it's, it's and how is it? No, I think I think it does answer the question. It gives us, I think, or two or three aspects that surprised you, and I think it's surprising for us to think about as well. So thank you for sharing in a sense. And I think like like following up on that, it's like um you, I like the part where you mentioned that it's about the users, and the users always going to want more in a sense. And um, has your perception of that or your view on that changed? from the time when you started off um, as someone in the team or someone leading a project to your role now when you are more in senior management. Did you, because uh, like, one of the things that I see with a lot of people who come up with the ideas and execute the ideas is um, it's harder for them to take customer feedback or client feedback 
when they are the ones who are very involved with the idea execution and then they grow to a senior management post and then they realize oh that's what this client was trying to say and it becomes easier for them to implement that did that happen to you or have you always been very open to feedback in a sense i think almost all of us uh, operate with some sense of bias uh, in terms <laughs> of how we believe that the solution is you know we'll we'll go in there and uh, and and uh, start building out a product you know because we have a specific vision in mind or a specific uh, uh, aspect of how we expect to manifest this uh, this thing in, within the product um and um perhaps one of the most difficult things uh, is is building that habit um or, or or creating a behavior where we're willing to listen to um what i use as a saying but uh, you know everyone will have opinions on 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 how you should be building your product uh and it's it's worth it's worthwhile to be able to do two sets of things making sure the channels are open um so that you know users and uh, uh your customers can tell you how they think about it uh it's useful to also have um the space and time to synthesize what you're learning and not necessarily react to everything that you're learning um and then there is a third aspect i think it's important to recognize your biases uh, whether for good or bad it doesn't really matter right That's but it's the hardest part of it <laughs> yeah it is it is super hard um and and this is one of the things i i remember one of my first um managers i had at microsoft um uh my first manager at microsoft uh, but he he had always given me this this advice um which is still hold true and i still think it's 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 valuable to me it's valuable to everyone that's joining uh, the workforce today is is always um you know go through a few iterations of building a product right it's often it's it's very tempting to say i build this thing out i build this product out i build a set of features out and now i'm ready to go to something else uh, and it's and you don't quite build out the second and third blocks right you go go and build out your features but you've not yet built that discipline and that um, that muscle around listening to listening from customers and then synthesizing it and understanding and then overlaying that with your biases uh very very cognizant about very with conscious biases right uh and 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 so that process takes at least a few iterations and so one of the things that he had advised i i did what lots of folks do is i build this thing i'm now ready to go on to something else and his advice was no hold on this this go through this a few more times and you learn what you're you know you you become much better at building those aspects of it um super useful advice uh and something that i continue to um uh hold dearly and and also kind of uh, tell others if uh, that that it's, it's it's super valuable to go through this multiple iteration because of that feedback loop no but that is such good advice i feel like many times we're in a rush to complete something and move on to the next thing yeah. that we don't see how we can maximize it through as you said the other two aspects of the internal kind of like review as well as the getting the customer feedback so that is a very very good point and you built so many things i think um in microsoft and one of the things that i think that i found very intriguing was the microsoft front door i think you headed the team you started the team in a sense and uh microsoft front door if i'm not mistaken is responsible for almost all the aspects of um program and product management for microsoft edge and i think it's our various platforms how did you come up with this idea in a way yes it, it, it's, yeah it's so much to it <laughs> this was actually uh, again one of the things where you you go through it a few iteration and then then you realize that uh, there is two aspects so 
just to give you a perspective, the, the front door is really, um, uh, you, you can think of it as platform and infrastructure that allows you to speed up every application, um, uh, every Microsoft application, uh, where you know you have requests coming in um, and you know they go through the internet and they eventually come and hit uh, some data center somewhere. And so that process of you know transporting the transport layer that exists between a user's device and the data center can take uh, several milliseconds to several seconds. Um, and, and then that's also the place where you have uh, a, a lot of uh, what I would consider um, uh, folks who are trying to bring down a system like distributed denial of service and so on and so forth, where people are trying to attack this, uh, you know, attack your service and try to bring it down, you know, happens typically at that, at, at that point where, you know, if you try to, if you ensure that no packets reach the service that's sitting in the data center, then your application is down. Uh, for that matter, right? And and so, so what uh, what the front door does is it's basically think of it as both infrastructure and a set of services that sits on top there and protects the the services, the valuable services that you have in the data center, and also speeds up the transport uh, between the end user's device to the data uh, to the data centers themselves. I'm just imagining, like, from my device to the data center, the information going boop, and then after that, having this tool as like a catalyst to make it faster. In a sense. That's right. That's right. Right. And 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 um, and and so the way to the way to think of it is, and so the way we started off was actually we built a small set of services um, that that literally sat in the data center just before the just in front of the services um, uh, for Bing um, and. Um, and, and as we learned more about the business and heard feedback from the users and, and observed the data coming in from the users, we started pushing that out from the data centers closer and closer towards uh, end users' devices, which requires us to rethink how uh, how we do, how we, uh, you know, if you think of, um, uh, you know, how, how do we geolocate all these services? How do we make sure that the the front door which was sitting in a data center originally is now sitting closer uh, in terms of network uh, uh, network distance is sitting closer to your pc or your phone um you know and so that requires us to literally rethink um or reframe um or uh, how we go about managing um the 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 the, the microsoft front door uh, and actually, it's now evolved. The front door is now evolved, where it's now become an Azure service. Um, so it's uh, my teammates who are who I work with have all stuck on that mission and continued on over what's it? It's more than six, seven years since I left that uh, team, uh, maybe longer. Uh, but they've all continued on, and now it's it's a service that now any developer building any application in any part of the world can end up using this uh, this service. So it's no more Microsoft-centric alone. It's just now available to any developer of any application worldwide. But that is very amazing. As the person who founded it and brought the team together, how did you get, like, as you said, everyone has their own internal biases. Everyone, I think, has their strengths and weaknesses. But as the person who founded it and kind of led this team, how did you bring people together to achieve such a big task? Especially because I think the programming world is one of the most, I feel, stressful industries. You get one line of code wrong and then your, your hard-earned work for the whole day is gone. So how did you manage all of this different... In, like, well, like, it's, uh, yeah. it's rarely one person. Uh, it's, it's always a team. Uh, and I think we are well past the days where uh, one person necessarily, uh, you know, there, there might be a person who's 
who's a figurative uh, lead or a head or whatever in, within a team, but it really requires uh, the entire team to lean in. Uh, this was a team of, uh, at that time, it was about, I would say it was uh, close to about 100 folks. Uh, every one of them brought something to the team, uh, pushed us all, everyone around them. Uh, I think it really boils down to a couple of things. I think um, um, creating a mission with uh, with uh, um, uh, is, is important, and creating, along with the mission, there's got to be something of what does success look like. You know, having a theory of success, having and, a goal in a sense. Yeah, having a goal. Like I think of three things, uh, right? That 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 you need to also add to a mission, which is uh, a direction, um, a specific goal, like a specific point. You know, you say everyone head in this direction. And and we want to be there in in you know two years or three years, and then knowing how to measure yourself, right? How how do you measure progress? I and mean, those are the three kind of uh, important catalysts that you need in uh, that kind of uh, that should go along with the mission. That's, so that is one piece. Uh, the second piece is uh, is the culture. Uh, you know, creating a culture where I actually won't take the credit for it. I'll take all my teammates around me who uh, who did a fantastic job of helping us all create a culture that allowed us to do, um, to collaborate and connect with each other. Um, and, and, and so when, you, when you've got those two pieces, it really doesn't matter in how you, um, uh, in how you present yourself within the team, because everyone is bringing something to the team. They've already signed up for that mission. Uh, they have embraced the culture. Um, it doesn't matter whether you're an engineer or a manager or or a GM, it really doesn't matter, or a VP, it really doesn't matter. People attach themselves at the end of it to specific missions. Um, and, uh, and then it doesn't matter whether you're a developer or a product owner or a product manager. Again, it's, it, it is it is being, uh, yeah, it's being attached to the mission is, is, is super important is the best way I think of it. That's very amazing. And this is not, and you've built so many products since then. The success of this itself speaks for itself. But after that, you went to Google. You, uh, if I'm not mistaken, you even um, did products uh, such as, I think, Google App Engine. And then I, you, you worked on the um, Google Cloud uh, products as well, which in itself, I think, as I mentioned earlier, is something that all of us take for granted now Google Cloud Stack Driver, um, among a few others. Out of your experiences of working on these different things and all, um, what do you think makes or breaks so a successful project? Because today you have hundreds of software developers coming together, forming startups or coming up with ideas. Not everything works, but you have seemed to actually bring a lot of these ideas to life. So what was the component or the components that you feel enable that to happen? Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's uh, so. I'll stress on the fact that it's not just one person who brings the product to life; it's the team that brings the product to life. Um, the if I had to think of necessary, not necessarily sufficient, but necessary ingredients, um, uh, it is um, it is not just the idea alone. Um, is what I mean. If you'd asked me this twenty years ago, I would have said, "Oh, if I just had a great idea." Yeah, uh, but everyone's waiting for the million dollar idea, right? Right. It's not just the idea alone. I think it is uh, the idea combined with a set of folks who uh, who are passionate about the same idea. Uh, it's about uh, building um, a culture within the team um, that allows you to um, that allows um, 
people to present themselves in in no matter what uh, uh, you know with uh, uh, so that is that is the third one and i think the fourth one perhaps we don't think about it as much but i think it's it's critical um, is uh, 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 execution it's relentless execution of this ideas uh, uh, you know it, it's not the exciting thing most of us get uh, wrapped up around oh this is such a cool idea and i can write about this i can talk about this but at the end of it, it is really about that execution of those ideas. Um, so, you know, I, I think that uh, as, as people do say, ideas are a dime a dozen. That, you know, that, that there are literally lots of people who come up with ideas. It's, it's really about, and the execution is where I do think about the feedback loop, about being able to, um, you know, over time be able to perhaps change directions because you heard the right thing. So you've seen the industry evolve in a different way. And those are all important pieces uh, to this, right? Um, and, and yeah, so that's uh, that's the the other part I think that might be a, a useful ingredient, a necessary ingredient. Yep, I like that relentless execution of the idea. I think that that is a a step that that many people um, <laughs> need to remind themselves of more than just having the ideas. I mean, as you said, it's nice to have an idea. It's nice to talk about an idea, but relentless execution makes or breaks it. Yeah, and uh, so the, yeah. I mean, it takes, I, I would say, you know, um, most more often than not, it is execution which takes up more than 80, 90 percent of the effort. You know, it is, you know, whether it's writing code or whether it is ensuring that you, you've got the right feedback loop or making subtle changes or, you know, small changes that allows you to go uh, kind of re, uh, you know, readjust your, your, your plans and your goals um and, and and so on so it's that that iterative process uh, um, that that takes up i would say the the largest portion of uh, of building out uh, successful products and you've seen this from the very beginning um being someone who was a project manager to eventually becoming a senior lead um in both microsoft and then eventually google and then after that you actually became in uh, 2017 if i'm not mistaken the director of um, alexa for business and alexa only launched in 2017 itself so alexa for business only launched in 2017 if i'm to be specific so how is the execution part um coming for a product at this scale especially for you who was um, new to Amazon in a sense compared to your time in uh, Microsoft and Google. How was that experience for you? Yeah, the, the folks, um, uh, you know, again, a lot of this goes back to, you know, the, there are a lot of um, uh, folks who are already thinking about where Alexa could, um, could be um, expanded into. I mean, Alexa was already sitting on on millions of homes um, on the kitchen, uh, you know, on the on the kitchen counters um, uh, or on tables and so on and so forth. And when um, I joined Amazon at the time, um, it was very specifically for this role. I mean, I was looking at how we could uh, be uh, changing how we work. It's, you know, our, our work, the way we have worked, hasn't really changed um, for years. Um, and and so one of the things that um, that to me um, uh, was was really helpful was there was, all, there, was there were all, already a set of very talented folks uh, at Amazon uh, who were already thinking about this. So for me, it was kind of going and joining that group of folks and saying, "Hey, let's 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 talk about uh, uh, let's start actually um, having an idea of." of 
how can Alexa really go change the workplace? Um, um, and, and workplace is, again, so broad, right? There are frontline workers who are everything from, you know, they're, uh, they're picking up your groceries and delivering it home uh, uh, all the way to people sitting in front of a keyboard and a, and a monitor and doing their work. Um, uh, and, and so there are different ways where uh, Alexa itself can be um, can be applied into each of those various scenarios, uh, right? To the massive spectrum of scenarios, um, and um, and and one of the early theses that we had was uh, uh, how do we make sure that we are able to create uh, a service, not just the device. The device was actually easier because you know, Amazon was churning out uh, Alexa devices uh, like there's no end, uh, and then so and there was also a, a large 3P ecosystem where that enabled other device manufacturers to embed Alexa uh, into those devices. Um, so for us, it was primarily about the service. Like, what is the service in the back end that allows us to um, uh, use that that uh, massive um, uh, that, that, that massive uh, momentum that was there behind Alexa, and see how we could apply it into uh, into the workplace. And so that's how our journey began there. And Amazon themselves used Alexa during this time, I think, very well. I think I read somewhere at least, I think, over 700 meetings or something. Oh, um, yep, I think it was, yeah, I think it was about 700 of your conference rooms actually already had Alexa installed. And I think 70% of your meetings were started by Alexa. And was that the culture there? Were you guys using this tool in your business operations itself? And if so, yeah. How did that help you shape how other companies or other organizations could use it as well? Was it an important factor in it? I think in, in most tech companies, you're you're going to see a culture of uh, what's called dog fooding, right? I mean, so do 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 uh, you end up using the same uh, services uh, that our customers are using or are or we're building for, um, and 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 just use it and be obsessive about using it and filing bugs and so on and so forth. So even before we actually launched Alexa for Business in the conference room, of course, Alexa for Business manifests in so many different ways in hospitality, in retail, in healthcare, and so on and so forth. But uh, one of the places, one of the scenarios was in conference rooms. You walk in and just say, start my meeting. And it just starts your meeting. It knows who you are. It knows what meeting you're, uh, uh, that's, uh, that's scheduled in the room. It knows who all it needs to contact. And then just lights up and, and turns on everything. And, and the meeting gets started. A great scenario, super helpful. It takes about five minutes, typically five to ten minutes, for people to go get the meeting started, and this would happen in in, in you know twenty seconds. Uh, and that scenario was great, but um, the 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 key part for us was uh, while we had the scenarios, we could go build it out. We needed to make sure that even before we send it out to the users and and customers, uh, we were utilizing it ourselves. So we basically went and retrofitted. Uh, many buildings uh, with an Amazon's conference room. And it was literally going in there and plugging it in and making sure that we configure the service so that it's aware of the uh, the conference room, the building, the participants, and who's scheduled the meetings and so on and so forth. So that the moment people walked in and just and said, join my meeting or start my meeting, uh, we'll just go, uh, we'll be able to connect to a whole bunch of services and light up the meeting. Uh, but that process was super valuable because you get a ton of bugs. Uh, you know, uh, we are um, most companies uh, are uh, are really good critics of their own product. So, <laughs> so, 
So we would have a lot of people filing bugs and every one of those bugs are super valuable because in the end, it just makes that service better, right? Um, and so it's, uh, and, 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 and that's the unique part of, of building software. You can indeed utilize a lot of the services yourself and, and then experience it and say what you like or you don't like about it. Of course, there is always the, the, the bias part of it is important, right? I mean, always realizing that this is coming from a small subset of people, um, which is within Amazon, which means they've already drunk the Alexa Kool-Aid and so on and so forth. <laughs> uh, but, but it's still very valuable. It's still extremely valuable. Uh, because then you start broadening that from more than just within the company to uh, a larger group of folks, to you know, even larger, and then eventually to the world. Um, you, you learn with every one of those expanding of rings. And now, like, like, in like getting all of these bugs and feedback and things like that, again, it's something that um, you as the director at that point in time, you're no longer the person directly working on solving all of the problems when you've got this team now that you need to manage and things like that. How do you manage the morale of the team? Does, is everyone excited? Like you are like, okay, we've got improvement. Or did everyone go like, oh no, another bug they have to fix and things like that. And if so, either way, how did you manage it? I think it's useful to think about uh, what are the framing or scaffolding um, that you want to provide um, to to the team that allows them to. So there are, you know, when you when you kind of think of it, uh, you know, not every day is 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 a great day. Right? You're going to have some great days, and you're going to have some uh, not so great days. Um, and and I think um, the 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 interesting thing from a leader's point of view is. Um, uh, is um, reminding folks of there is a larger goal to this. And so it's okay, we'll have setbacks and we're guaranteed going to have setbacks on any journey. Um, uh, focusing not about the current moment in time, but about the journey where we have come from and where we are going to go is, is another useful thing. Um, uh, creating clarity at any point, because every time when you are in a process of crisis, there is lack of clarity. And, and and so often that and that does require all of us and, and sometimes the leaders more more than others is to kind of step back and say, how can I provide enough clarity to this to where we are right now so we can then you know pick up uh, and, and, and move forward. Um, and so those are some of the kind of classic tools. Uh, uh, and, and it's even more so in, in, with the pandemic right now, but everyone of us working from home, uh, right? I mean, this has been my office. This is uh, for the last uh, over a year uh, and it'll continue to be like this for, the several months. Uh, so, so in, in this, it, it's a more, even more, even more important to be able to kind of set aside time to go connect with folks and, uh, um, and, and, uh, and, and kind of reinvent how we hung out together as a, as a team. And, and moving the conversation to your role today, general manager, Microsoft search and intelligence. Um, it's, We've all like tech is something that is very software driven. Uh, we all know everything like it, it revolves around the computer in a sense, the internet. But having to work in a pandemic with everyone remote, I think really puts to the test how savvy we are with the, putting translating our emotional intelligence into the internet world in a way. So for you now as a general manager, as someone who has had years of experience at Microsoft and all of these different con like companies, what were the lessons that enabled you to to still manage your team, keep yourself on toes during this pandemic, in a sense. Yeah, I, I think um, one of the things that we learned early on within about the first three months or so is 
everyone is impacted by the pandemic, every single person. And uh, people are impacted differently. So, um, you know, everyone had their own way of how the pandemic hit them, whether it doesn't matter whether you were actually um, sick with COVID, uh, which actually adds a lot, lot more. It, it, it does matter if you're, if you're falling that sick. That would be another problem. Right. Thing. But even if you were not, right, uh, just the fact of working from home changes the dynamics in so many ways. Um, the lines between work and life just got blurred a lot. Uh, we also noticed uh, within Microsoft where we do have the data points and we spend a lot of time collecting on the collecting the data that people were working harder. Um, they were working harder. They were, you know, probably doing an, an, an entire day's worth more in the same five day week. Um, and and so it's it, it it's all those data points. You're 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 you know the fact that. Um, you know, in another five to ten minutes, my kids will come rushing in saying, "Hey, it's snack time!" And you know, I, 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 and it's, it's a part of it. And so, first of all, just creating the space within the team, just realizing that uh, you know, my my dog could come in or my kids could come in and uh, and demand my attention. And so, for folks to kind of say, "Yeah, this is going to happen," so it's it's okay. It's perfectly okay. Um, uh, for for and so expanding how uh, we thought about work. Uh, or doing work and how we did work, uh, that changed. And then, and 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 then the second piece was make, reminding everyone that 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 they are working harder, uh, and the lines between work and life is blurred so much that it actually causes more stress. Um, and so, reminding folks to take time for themselves um, and to take some time off is is another useful thing. I think Microsoft just did a fantastic thing that at one point they. They basically said, we'll give everyone uh, an, an entire week, uh, which they can distribute in any way they want across the entire year, of, um, of what they call as well-being days, you know, where you needed a Friday to catch up uh, on your home stuff, just do it. Or you, you had Wednesday, you had to go and do a bunch of uh, things to help your kids with assignments and go do it, right? So they provided that being super flexible. Another useful thing that I learned from from someone uh, on the team is, is also announcing your um, availability um, uh, because everyone is available at different times. Like for example, uh, when I'm, when I'm uh, you know, making some snacks for the kids, I'm not available. I don't want to be distracted. I don't want meeting people at the time. Uh, you know, and, and so because our you know, kids are at home too, they're, they're studying uh, from home, right? Uh, school is all done remotely right now. So. Um, so just uh, advertising very clearly your available uh, availability and also setting the right expectations that, um, you know, I may not be there to immediately answer uh, your email or your message because I am probably multitasking. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm probably, you know, uh, taking the dog out for a walk and telling my kids, hey, have you got your assignment done or not in time, right? And it's those kind of things. Um, uh, and so just... Uh, and I, I think just being more aware and sensitive to everyone has got their own different life routine, which is expected, but just reminding ourselves that how I lead my life is different than how you would lead your life. Um, uh, and, and because work and life are now so tightly intertwined, uh, you're going to see some of that life and then and the different ways I lead my life, uh, you know, impacting uh, how I do my work. 
Uh, and, and so that was super valuable, just reminding ourselves and then reminding the team that we're all in this and we're all being impacted differently uh, has helped a lot. You mentioned earlier also that it's important to see not just the immediate, but also see the long haul, see where things are going, see the future projections. What do you, what do you see for the future of working life? Do you think this pandemic, this working from home is going to leave some roots and leave some um, precedents in the future work-life balance that we all have? Or do you think we will just one day forget it like it was a nightmare or a dream depending on their experiences? Yeah, so this is uh, this is great. I can tell you how I I am uh, how I realized at least how I started perceiving work and life uh, differently. I'm not an expert, but there are lots of lots of folks who are really thinking hard about this across uh, large and small organizations. Uh, one thing that this has definitely taught me is, um, uh, you know, traditional work routines uh, has been disrupted for me in a way that I'm actually ready to embrace this for the long term. Uh, what I mean by that is, you know, traditional work routine was, uh, as, as, especially in most white collar jobs, is, or, or most jobs, you know, many jobs, I would say, is, you know, going to some place between eight to five and talking to people uh, and, uh, and interacting with them, collaborating with them, learning from them. Uh, and then spending some time, you know, in front of a keyboard uh, and a mouse and a computer and, and, and you know, either writing code or writing docs or reading and reviewing and so on and so forth. So you're, you're spending, um, the, the, the way I think of it is that, that's just been the traditional setup for years together. Um, right now, just the fact that I can pour myself a cereal, uh, check in with the kids, uh, and then get into in front of my computer and hop on a meeting. All of this within a five-minute interval without having to drive anywhere is just uh, very liberating in some ways. It, it just opened. It, it just and then getting used to this process, right? Um, it, it does take some time um, to get used to it. So I do. I find myself being a lot more open to working from home. The other thing that there are two other pieces here. I, we don't yet have a good solution for this interpersonal connection. I do miss hanging out with my friends and colleagues at work. Uh, I do like, you know, um, meeting up occasionally during lunchtime and saying, "Hey, let's go grab grab a bite and just chat about how are you doing and so on and so forth." That's tough because now you've got to schedule a meeting on someone's calendar to check in on, on folks. <laughs> but it, it, it is. It, it is this. I, I don't think we yet have a good solution for it. The third thing that it definitely, um, the way I've learned is. Um, the notion of fear of missing out is, uh, you know, which is why, one of the particular reasons why people ended up at work. You know, I, I'm not always connected. You know, people thought that if I'm not at work, I would not be connected to the most up-to-date information and, and all the happenings that's happening. That's, that's not there. I find a lot of folks that I talk to are saying, yeah, it's okay. It's okay if I'm not uh, if I'm not in, if I'm not in front of the water cooler at the right time, or if I'm not in front of you know the lunch. Not the end of the world. <laughs> and, and it's not happening anyways across the board. Uh, the 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 other beauty of it is we've seen some like there are some really good tools that have come up that helps bridge that gap. Right, the FOMO part of it is 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 a great example where. We have now, by default, as a group, we've just gotten better at recording meetings. So it's okay, even if I'm not there, um, I can always 
review the recording. I missed a meeting on Friday uh, morning um, uh, because of some schedule snafus. And by that evening, I was caught up. And I didn't feel like I was left out. I didn't feel like, oh, I missed out on something, right? And it's great. It's just having those kind of tools, right? Um, uh, and those tools are evolving. So we are, we're changing our perspective. Um, and so um, I don't know about the, I don't know about yet about, I don't have a, a super broad purview of all the data, data points to say where the industry would move. But I know for speaking for myself, I am very ready to be working more from home than I ever did before. Like, you know, I, initially I would probably do, I'd say about 20% of the time I would probably work from home or 30%. I'm not ready to make that the opposite. I'm ready to work from home about 80% of the time and uh, spend about 20% of the time uh, being physically at work. Well, I'm sure your family and your kids would really appreciate that. And I'm sure we've all kind of gotten used to working from home in a sense and um, finding that balance. And as you said, it also makes, I think, both work and home more enriching because you kind of blend the lines between um, who you are at work, who you are at home. And it for me, like, it's just, I think, made us all more whole people in general. So yeah, It depends, Harsha, whom you ask. If you ask my kids, they're saying, when do you ever... <laughs> When will dad ever go back to work and stop uh, telling me to make my bed, uh, right? Uh, and if you ask my dog, you know, if uh, the, the dog is super happy to see me, uh, see me here 24-7. <laughs> okay, okay. I shall not ask your kids and show them this video then where I've told them working from home is a good thing. But, but you are right in a sense. It is a matter of perspective. Yeah. But um, one, one good thing that, you, that you've mentioned that I, that I feel is a very nice note to end on is... Um, there is a lot of future technologies. There is a lot of things that's enabling us to do this more easily. And there, it's not that working from home is perfect. It's not that anything is perfect. But I guess we are just going through one of the iterations, as you said, of refining how our work, uh, our working culture can be made better and better. So yeah. hopefully we continue this practice of improving the ways that um, we work with our teams, we work with the organizations we're in. And I and thank you so much for all of your lovely sharings on the products that you've built, on the experiences behind it, and how you actually bring people together to solve um, the problems and the solution, come up with solutions to things that we only often see at the user's endpoint. So thank you so much for being on the show. You've been amazing to listen to, I'd say. Thank you, Harsha. It was, uh, I, I was, it was great to listen to what, what you folks are doing as well. And, and uh and how you're trying to disseminate information and uh, just bring the whole community together. So that's, that's great. Okay, thank you very much. To all of you watching, this has been Changing Reality. Uh, my name is Harsha, signing off for today. Um, tune in again with us next Thursday at 10 p.m. EST or wherever you are from around the world. See you guys, bye. bye. You're listening to Changing Reality. Changing Reality where we bend reality all across the world. Only on WQHS Radio.